It takes the money to dance in a pretty cabinet. Let the meat cake, she said, just like Marie Antoinette. That's all I know. Welcome to Dragon Talk. My name is Greg Tito. Disappointed. Shelly Mazzanoble is disappointed. You are going to sing. I was going to sing. You need to make that little girl happy. <laughs> we Don't I do that request. enough? Nope. Don't I do that enough with my kids? Two little girls in particular, but this one, you made her laugh. That's true. On the Twitter. It's true. Yes. Sing it. Welcome to Dragon Talk. Oh, I like it. Dun, 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 dun. We like to talk about the dungeons and the dragons all over the face. On the place. My favorite salsa is pace. <laughs> I know how to rhyme a bit. Thank Good job. you. Good job. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, that was a sympathy la- uh, clap. Thank you for that. No, I liked it. You did? I was into it. <laughs> there was well, some I dancing. Was chair dancing. There was a whole bounce of dancing. Yeah. Yeah. How you you doing, got Shelley? that right, Ryan? No. No. Okay. All right. Dang it. Do it over. Uh, I'm good. Yeah. How are you? Uh, you know, it's one of those days. It's Monday. Greg We're recording and I, on Monday. We carpooled today. We did. And we said, let's not talk to each other so we have stuff to talk about this <laughs> <No>. afternoon. <laughs> Get exhaust the, the yeah. small talk. So we just, we talked about terrible, depressing, apocalyptic things I, I can't that we see weren't you. going to. Well, I'm hiding behind the screen. I know. I can't really see you very well. I'm so comfortable, though. Don't make me move. You don't have to move. You just have to move your microphone. Hey. 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 That's odd. That's awkward. That doesn't work either. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll just have to. I could the talk magic of radio. Magic of radio. Sorry. You can't see me. Now I can see you now. Okay, I can see your jazz hands. Yay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Dragon Talk is where we talk about Dungeons and the Dragons. And uh, today uh, we have some really special guests. We kind of like superstars of the streaming world. That's true. Yes. That's right. Adam Coble and uh, JP McDaniel, who otherwise known as It Me JP. Uh, we'll be talking to us all about their uh, their streaming and how they've streamed the Dun and the Daggins. Oh, <laughs> nothing new and different. I'm re- applying for a new trademark with the, <laughs> the Dun and the Daggins. Legal is going to kill you. I know. Sorry, guys. God. Didn't mean to spoil it here. BTW, I got in trouble with Legal today. I don't think we want that recorded. Not. <laughs> Cut it out. I'm so scared. <laughs> coming for me. We'll talk about that when you take me home tonight. Not our legal, different legal. Okay. Yeah. The the legal system. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get like arrested? <laughs> Are you trying to tell me? Nobody knows I'm here. Right? <laughs> they they will in in four days. No. When no. this comes out, I'm not in trouble. I'm not in trouble. Okay. But I will tell you about it on the way home. Yes. It's funny. Anyway. Uh yeah, they're going to talk all about. Uh, we're going to come. <laughs> what? Streaming. Uh, it's uh, it's kind of exciting because uh, uh, these guys have been on the the cutting edge of streaming, kind of uh, riding that wave of it yeah. being popular, uh, and they kind of started some of the best practices uh, and well, good. Uh, have been and continuing can, going forward. We can learn so. from them. Yeah, and I can't wait to pick their brains about uh, uh, what it's been like um, on their side. Right. Uh, and also how Roll20 functions in that capacity. Yep. Uh, are one of our partners uh, in which we have Dungeons & Dragons material up there uh, to easily play in an online tabletop. Uh, it's very easy to uh, pick up and uh, play your games with people all cool. over the world. So they are like pioneers. They're pioneers. Yeah. yeah. We're gonna I remember about- hearing their names way back when we were first starting talking about this whole streaming thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was. They were, like I said, the cutting they edge. Were. They how cut did, themselves. How did they know? <laughs> how did they I don't know? think they did. Well, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna be I'll bold. I'll save my questions, I guess. Yeah, save your I'll questions. I'll save it for them. 
we have uh, Tales from the Yanni Portal. It's coming out April 4th yeah. everywhere, March 24th in game stores. So check it out there. Seven dungeons from D&D's past, Very nice. uh, including Tomb of Horrors, Against the Giants, White Plume Mountain, uh, uh, amongst many others, uh, they're all very interesting. Uh, they all have uh, dungeons, which are fun to to get into, uh, and easy to drop into any campaign. Of course, they're all uh, uh, from various worlds, like the Forgotten Realms, and also Greyhawk. Nice. We talked to Luke Gygax last week uh, about some Greyhawk going ons. But uh, part of the fun of the book is that you can you can use this in any of your campaigns, including homebrews. So I don't can't remember who told me this, but I heard that the Tomb of Horrors. Is even harder now. It's very. I. I is that true? We're gonna have to play it and find out, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's always been hard. Uh, yeah. It's it, the 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 difficulty spike. Some t- people don't like is when it's hard and there's no possible way to discover stuff. Uh, so I think it's still difficult, but I still think there's clues and things where you can find a, a, the best way to go f- through it. Okay. For savvy players. I I definitely want to play this. Nice. We will. This is be there fun. will be lots of deaths. I heard. Uh, uh, yes. Did uh, you hear Bart? That? Bart ran some of his friends through. Yeah. Through it. Yeah. That that sounded interesting. They're not friends anymore. They're not friends anymore. <laughs> <laughs> They're actually his ex friends. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happens. <laughs> he left their carnage in Austin somewhere. Nice. Well, we'll be doing some more uh, talking about that over the next few oh, months. Speaking of. Yeah. Bart. What? Now that he's back on the D and D team, he kind of wants to like be here yeah he should like, be talking to a yeah like with a microphone well no i can't say that he wants that's too far that's a bridge too far <laughs> well he can just stand in the doorway <laughs> he and can scream just, he can stand and like be he you know he'll be like ryan in the background just being like oh, i can't he really could, talk i mean he probably has useful things to say but he does. in a way i kind of feel like like this was bart's toy and then yeah. he moved away and we found his toy in his driveway and just took it and started playing with it yeah and now he moved back to town and he was like, are you guys still playing with that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, we, it's even better we, now. It's a better toy. We yeah. pimped it out. <laughs> now we should you have, have him on to definitely talk to him about his, his, his like, newish role here, yeah. too. And, yeah, and, and Dragon Plus. And Dragon Plus and all the fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. so he probably does have. And actually, we, we very seldom talk about work, so I'd love to know what he's working on these days. Oh, you and him have like a, a Chinese <laughs> wall really between it? You Not can't on purpose, really, but yeah. sometimes it does. Yeah. We're like, oh, did you see what Greg Tito was wearing today? Like that kind of thing we'll talk about. I, oh, so that's that's okay to talk about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like no more midriff shirts, Tito. What? But they're so <laughs> it's, comfy. It's winter. Yeah, but... You know, I mean, I know I you've have been enough, in the gym a lot. I have enough belly hair where it's basically like a shirt. <laughs> it's like a hair shirt. <laughs> oh, <laughs> starting a trend. <laughs> it's cool. You want one, Ryan? Yeah. Yeah, we're selling them now. Okay. Uh, on the D and D website. It just says Go check it dungeons out. and half an ampersand. <laughs> <laughs> the bottom half, <laughs> and that's tantalizing to be like mm. dungeons and what? You I can must see the rest know. of the ampersand if you uh, if you want. <laughs> The sad part is nobody wants to. Nobody's nobody's nobody ever asked me to, to do like nobody's can I see the top of that ampersand. They're like, no, <laughs> nothing. It's mostly just like you, just walking away in disgust. Just, ugh, and then going <laughs> home and talking about it. Can you believe what you God, always. Oh my gosh. In those skinny jeans, such a hipster. <laughs> yeah. I peg my jeans. <laughs> oh, That's, I used nothing to. weird about that, right? I used to have them, like. Hemmed to be like super tight at the ankle. Oh my gosh, did your mom do that? Did your mom hem them for you? No, she she took them to 
To a lady. To a hammer. To a hammer. <laughs> who was like hemming all of the 12-year-old girls' jeans oh in the gosh. Binghamton, New York area. I didn't know there was like, that was a thing. Oh, yeah. Because I, I mean, they, I could not peg them tight enough. Mm. So it was, I just remember like really struggling to put them on because they were so tight around the ankle. Right. I think nobody really knows what pegging is. Basically, it's rolling what? your, your jean, the bottom of your jeans up so tightly around your calf. That yeah, there's it would a stay way. like that for, forever <laughs> or until, you know. Because it was very flattering to have big balloony denim around like your hips and thighs. Yeah. And then peg it really tight at the, at the ankle. Yeah, it was like when clown, clown pants were in. Yeah. That was a thing. MC Hammers. Yes. Did you peg your jeans, Ryan? Are you too young for this? He's too young for this. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh. You can tell from his look of utter confusion when we were talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> You guys, there's got to be some gene peggers out there. Yeah. There are. Tweet at us, uh, uh, at Greg Tito, to be Hashtag, like, I'm a, I'm a pegger. And we, <laughs> and we want to see pictures. We want to see picture evidence as well. I still like, I still love the skinny jeans. Yeah. Right? And your, your jeans are like a little bit pegged. They're right? a little bit pegged. They're a little bit pegged. But they, they, I bought them like this. Yeah. But I still know how to peg. Right, your right, jeans Ryan's are got pegged. them rolled up too. They, they're not as tight as they no, as they could be. I could peg those for you. Yeah. <laughs> when we switch to doing a video podcast, we can have uh, oh, uh, you know God. actual instructional videos about fashion as part of our, our a podcast. new segment. Yeah, exactly. Fashion this is what they're the doing 80s. in Waterdeep nowadays. Here's how to cut your sweatshirt so it falls off of one shoulder, flash dance style. We actually haven't talked about like fashion in the Forgotten Realms either. Like, what is that? What do they look like? That's a good lore you should yeah, know. Exactly. Yeah. We had another one that was saying about uh, um, communication in the Forgotten Realms. You know, is it ravens? Is it magical? Like, how does it work? Oh, so yeah. That's another one we're going to do soon-ish. Uh, and that these answers are known? Well, I'm going to put it to Matt and Chris and, and see and if they can figure out. it out. Yes. Back to his library and find out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, he just calls up uh, Ed Greenwood. Uh, oh, yeah, there you <laughs> and go. And Nora reads everything uh, Ed, Ed has written about uh, so the Forgotten Realms. So what's the realms? fashion like yeah. these days? And Ed's like, just look at me. I'm right? completely he fashionable. He is a pillar of fashion. We have to get Ed back on, too. Talk yeah. to him. He's always a good brain to pick. Yeah. Uh, but anywho, speaking of Forgotten Realms and Lori should know, uh, we have a segment coming up uh, talking about the timeline of the Forgotten Realms and uh, where, where we currently are at. Uh, it's, li- it's basically like a uh, history of the last hundred years, what it means, That's how cool. gods uh, uh, are in there, and, and all that. So, are you gonna have a visual for those of us trying to follow along at home? Not this time, hmm. but soon. Oh, cool! Oh, we're gonna make it more difficult. We're gonna have actual uh, uh, things up on the wall to refer to with laser pointers. Oh my god! Yeah, we'll do that soon. But what? in the meantime, enjoy the audio me. stylings. You're scaring me. Yes, you should. You should be scared. Oh. Very scared. We're doing a fashion show with Shelly. We're going to have to like Forgotten think about Realms what I'm fashion. wearing. We have to shave. But you're always so put together anyway. It's not like it doesn't have to. You're going to be on be it different. too, Ryan. That's true. Yes. This affects you too. <laughs> not just Tweedo. All right. Well, we're going to ask people. We're not going to make them do it except for you. Nathan was like, make sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. It's part of my goals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you wrote that in your goals, right? No, All I right. did not. I keep trying to throw it to the segment, and he won't let me. So let's go to the segment I'm now. Sorry. Yes, for real. Welcome to Lore You Should Know, 
where we delve into some Forgotten Realms lore uh, and other Dungeons and Dragons bits and bobs to elevate your game and or uh, titillate your lore funny bones. Does anybody have lore funny bones here? Um, no, okay, maybe it's just me. I'm Greg Tito. I'm joined by lore funny bone master number two. Hello. <laughs> Matt Sarnett. <laughs> and lore funny bone master number three. Chris Perkins. Hello. Thank you. All right. <laughs> I forgot my name for a second. There. No, no, I was waiting for some weird reaction to my. This is the fourth one of these we've done in a row. Sorry about okay. that. Uh, all right. So today uh, we are going to talk about uh, uh, more of a meta uh, conversation about the Forgotten Realms timeline, uh, as well as how dungeon masters can think about uh, the events of our published adventures, uh, such as Storm King's Thunder and uh, Out of the Abyss, and how they fit into the ongoing timeline of the Forgotten Realms uh, alongside our, 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 our uh, novels by uh, Bob Salvatore and uh, Ed Greenwood and, and Aaron M. Evans, and how it all fits together. Um, so. Uh, this is dovetailing with our conversation about the Sundering and what kind of happened, you know, uh, uh, mm-hmm. then. Um, and uh, Matt, why don't you kind of give us more of like an overview of like kind of what is happening in the Forgotten Realms, uh, uh, especially in the North, nowish, uh, and and how this pertains to our, our idea of sure, what's happening yeah. in our framing of it, as well as uh, the framing of every individual table out there. Nowish is a is a good word. So. <laughs> So uh, one of the reasons why the Forgotten Realms is called the Forgotten Realms is that, uh, I mean, well, the main reason really, is that it is a setting where there's an assumption and uh, a built into the setting itself in back in the Grey Box era of dozens of fallen kingdoms and history and, and all kinds of things, you know, be it dwarves or elves or humans or, uh, you know, weird lizard folk or whatever it might be. There's, there's been kingdoms all over the place. And that gives you the, the, the setup for all of these dungeons that are all over the world and these cool items you can find and that kind of a thing. And, uh, and so throughout the history of the realms, there's been a lot of um, filling in of that back history. You know, well, what was that dwarf kingdom? What was that elf kingdom? Mm-hmm. And so on. So throughout the history of the setting, there's been two forces at work in the timeline. One has been backfilling history going back even 30,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one is the sort of ever-present now that every product put out. So, Can you talk a little bit about what is that ever-present now? What does that mean? Well, each product effectively in the Forgotten Realms um, product line, especially in second edition and third edition, advance the timeline in some fashion. And mm-hmm. so you could actually plot the products and adventures in a, in a timeline and novels all together in like a timeline thing. And uh, while for super fans of the setting that was uh, a fun thing to do and really interesting, uh, it had weird effects on the game itself. So you might, for instance, tune into one product and figure out that uh, whatever, uh, Dritz is a 14th level fighter ranger. And then the next product that you, you hit, he's, you know, an 18th level fighter ranger. <laughs> because they have literally, and, and that would happen even for the, like, the leaders of cities that aren't important characters at all. Mm. Right. So that, like it just did this weird thing where like suddenly for when years advanced, characters levels had to advance. And, and so it was this bizarre drift in, at this sort of uh, game mechanical level. Uh, and then 
the timeline itself is really complicated to the point where uh, you know we had a, a, a book, the the Grand History of the Realms, that tried to sort of sort out and codify all of these timelines because the timelines were coming out in various products at different points, you know, and then there were also um, lots of sort of fan generated timelines that were trying to track where the novels hit and stuff like that. So the Grand History of the Realms really took it all and codified it and put it in one place. When did that come out? Uh, boy, gosh, that was... That would have been 2007? Okay, yes. so it was a more recent development to try to yeah. right. make sure everybody understood what our conception of the history of the realms was. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then uh, with uh, the Spell Plague, there was the 100-year gap built into the setting. And then, so that there was some backfilling done in there a little bit, but not a lot. Uh, and... Um, many things of the setting were changed, some for worse, some for better. Uh, and so, you know, the sort of continuing role of that timeline um, was sort of weird for both us managing the, the property of the Forgotten Realms as a setting for the games and the novels, right? The, any novelist who wrote a novel needed to be cognizant of the umpteen novels that had happened before mm. and the novels that were happening concurrently and all of these game products and all of these different things. And anyone who's designing a, a, an adventure sort of had to be cognizant of all of that as well. You still have to be cognizant of all of that stuff now, but I think now we're taking a, a different philosophy, one that's more traditional to a lot of D&D set campaigns and a lot of D&D games uh, where essentially adventures come out and there aren't necessarily set endings of those adventures or starts who went on the adventure mm-hmm. who defeated Tiamat in in Tyranny of Dragons you know who stopped the giants I don't know when were they stopped mm. can you play Tyranny of Dragons or Princess of the Apocalypse before one another it doesn't really matter we, we're not really you know you can do both we, we want people to give people the flexibility to take these adventures into their games and not feel like oh well now I've played Prince of the Apocalypse. I have to play, you know, Out of the Abyss. No, you know, right. play whichever one next you want to play. You know, yeah. Do whatever you like. Yeah, we've said in, we, with 5th edition, uh, we said the realms that we're going to really talk about is the realms post-Spell Plague, post-Sundering. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so we're in the, the latter half of the 15th century in the Forgotten Realms timeline. Uh, basically hovering around the years of 1479 through 1489 or 1490, yeah. 91. I don't think we're at 1492. No. <laughs> yeah. um, there's there's but, an ocean blue yeah. involved. Yeah. So we've got, we've got this span um, where uh, we basically tell people the adventures that we're releasing can be really set in anywhere in that range. Um, and as Matt said, one can happen before the other or after the other. Um, the idea being that it gives the DM flexibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, it the the adventures are a little bit untethered, uh, so that the DM can change things, move things around. Um, and we've done things like, for instance, in Storm King's Thunder, some cultists, some elemental cultists show up yeah. in one encounter, uh, and that ties back to Princes of the Apocalypse. Uh, but we do it in a way that says, you know, that event can happen whether or not Princes of Apocalypse have ha- has happened or not. Right. And in uh, many ways could also be the uh, seed to begin exactly, yes. Princes of the Apocalypse. It could be a launching so pad so the DM can spin off from Storm King's Thunder to basically uh, carry on with Princes of the Apocalypse. Right. Uh, 
even more overtly, there's you know characters in Storm King's Thunder that were directly in Rise of Tiamat as well, right? Mm -hmm. A dragon named dragons. I'm tiptoeing around it, but yeah, yeah. there's yeah exactly, um, and there's references to in Storm King's Thunder to uh, dragons who had interests or um, participated in in the events of Rise of Tiamat, for Now, instance. are those there, I mean, you mentioned that they could be used in any way mm -hmm. by, as a DM, but is there an overarching, like, you know, progression? You know, so th is similar to, like, the Marvel Cinematic for, uh, Universe, for example, like, each movie happens in the same timeline, they just kind of made that rule. Did, in your conception of the Forgotten Realms, did uh, uh, Tyranny of Dragons happen, and then Prince of the Apocalypse happen, and then... No, it's more like they could. Um, but we didn't say they had to. Right. Uh, it's possible like, that in your world or your version of Forgotten Realms, Out of the Abyss never happened. There were never demons in the Underdark. And that's fine, um, because uh, adventures in particular are opt-in, opt-outs. Uh, they may not happen. Yeah. Um, uh, when when does it become that they that they that they did happen? Is it, would, would that happen whenever we do another? I, I think it time jump or something on, like that on sort of the um, the medium and yeah. the the narrative necessary for the medium. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if if you look at what Marvel's done with the movies, you know, they often uh, use a lot of the elements from the comics, but obviously they're not directly following. Ep you know. Issue number fifty-two of Iron Man. Right? <laughs> you know, it, 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 they're they're telling some of the same stories but different ways. And so, I think you know, if we went to uh, whether it's novels or movies or uh, whether it's the um, acquisitions incorporated shows or whatever it might be, uh, I think that they're going to be using these stories in different ways, and mm -hmm. they're going to have their mm -hmm. sort of own canon as you as you will, yeah. you know, within their own um, needs. Yeah, and sometimes we have fun. Um, we see an opportunity, <laughs> we take it. Like, for instance, uh, I get asked all the time, is Acquisitions Incorporated canonical to the realms? And I ask, my follow-up question to that is, well, what's canon, really? I mean, it's all... <laughs> what? Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, that's my job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, the conceit of this entire yes. segment is that... But the, the, fact, the fact that there is, a, like, there is a mention of an Acquisitions Incorporated character in an Ed Greenwood novel... Does that mean that that character is now part of the realms? Mm. And the answer is yes? Question mark. Um, I couldn't tell from that tone of your voice. Right. Uh, we are kind of uh, we're playing with the idea. Um, yes. But in, in in a way, yes, he is part of the canon. But then, uh, in another way, he doesn't have to be. Yeah, I, I think it's just one of the the modern the natures of modern um, sort of cross media brand. You know, you, you're going to have mm -hmm. the the Spider-Man cartoon and Spider-Man comics and Spider-Man movies, and you know, it's going to be Spider-Man the whole time. Yeah. But it's not necessarily going to be all canonically connected and exact and and similar for us you know water deep might even be you know like it's mm -hmm. it is water deep in each one of the iterations in which it's used or maybe neverwinter is a better example where like in neverwinter yeah you know what happens there and what happened in you know the mmo neverwinter what happens in neverwinter nights those are all things that like 
are part of the all thing, but they're different stories told in those things and aren't necessarily related to one another. Right. And right. I, I, yes. I think we certainly, when it's um, fun and interesting to make those connections, we, we want to definitely make those connections mm-hmm. and, right. and have them um, speak to one another and, and tell really fun stories. But I, I don't think we want to necessarily, as was the case in the past, you know, even things like uh, the, if you remember the, I call them gold box games, but they're they're the old uh, SSI mm-hmm. um, computer games that were like Pool of Radiance and stuff yeah. like that. Even events like those were incorporated into uh, the RPG products and then got incorporated into novels by you know, as a result and all things like that. And that, and that, mm-hmm. that type of um, connection and cohesiveness of the setting is really fun, really interesting, if you have very few hands in, if there are few cooks in the kitchen, yeah. Once you have, you know, dozens of novelists and computer game people and game designers and comic writers and all of these things, it, it's it's just too hard to make it all work. Right. And that's why you you get a lot of things like where there are canonical issues and and um, discussions about arguments about X Y or Z or right. right. Yeah. But I also and like the, the medium is a big part of it. I mean, in in the Game of Thrones TV series or the Game of Thrones novel series, you have to have a continuity. Um, you can't just have a character who suddenly changes name or just drops out out of the story completely and is never mentioned again, like mm-hmm. they weren't there, um, because you are watching essentially a scripted sequence of events and. Uh, things can't really change from beginning to end. You have to commit. In a RP, when you're doing RPG adventures, you're already introducing non-canonical elements in the form of the protagonists. You're creating yeah. your own characters. You've essentially, when you run an RPG adventure, what you're basically doing is running a parallel universe. Um, you are running your version of the realms or your version of a Greyhawk campaign or you're taking a realms adventure and putting it into a homebrew campaign and creating something completely different. Uh, The medium is such that we can pull stuff in from other sources and you, as the person running the adventure, decides whether it's canon or not. So we're basically, with an RPG adventure, um, saying we are giving you the power to decide what's canon. Whereas we ourselves here at Wizards of the Coast would be far less likely to divest ourselves of that power if we were working on an animated series with Warner Brothers or a right. novel with Ed or whatever. Something that had like a finite beginning, middle, and end. Exactly. Like a little right. bit easier to control. But because this is mm-hmm. so open-ended, yes. uh, uh, it, there is no yeah. 100% because you're, true Because you're essentially the, the showrunner for your own campaign. Right. We're basically saying, you, we're going to give you cool stuff or cool ideas or... We're going to suggest that these two things can be connected to each other, mm-hmm. but ultimately the decision to connect them or not is yours. Right. And one, I mean, one thing I want to, that, that you said, Matt, that I want to make sure we also read it, we do it when it is fun and interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, so for example, uh, Actresses Incorporated uh, uh, had their adventure at PAX West uh, on the Cloud Giant Castle, and our most recent uh, uh, lost episode for Force Grey, the uh, show that uh, Matt Mercer was running. Right. Um, Basically, you just followed that in sequence. It, exactly. Yeah, same world, same happening. It was just like, this is what happened 20 minutes after the acquisitions team sort of packed up and left. Right. And, you know, what happened around that table is not going to be 100% canon with what happens around your table. Right. But it was fun and interesting to set them close mm-hmm. to each other in proximity to make yes. those connective tissues happen. Right. And in a D&D adventure in your own campaign, if you use Force Grey, you don't have to use any of those characters. You don't have to use any of that 
any of what happened in that event or that lost episode, but you could yeah, if you wanted to. Right. And I like the that, that meta nature of uh, what we do here excites me for some reason. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if there's a lot of other Dungeon Masters out there, but I like the idea of running multiple uh, 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 groups through the same, you know, your own personal headcanon, which yes. is really, really what matters. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I mean, some of us have been working on D and D for so long now, through so many editions, that <laughs> that you're we, schizophrenic. <laughs> no, but um, at some point, you 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 can't. You have to get off the canon a little bit, yeah, um, because um, different people are going to be in charge of D&D over the course of... D&D is going to outlive us all. Yeah. And, you know, 10 years from now or 20 years from now when I'm gone and uh, there's going to be... When we're all gone or whatever, there's going to be other people deciding what connections to make and what's canon and what isn't. Um, With every edition of the game, we're kind of shaking up the canon and we're saying, this thing that was true, we're no longer going to say that's true. Yeah. Uh, I I think one of the things that... um, really intrigues me about uh, the nature of sort of canon uh, insofar as our brand goes is that there are elements of it that are sort of essential truths and then Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that are considered canon that aren't essential. So, um, you know, if you're doing a Superman movie, Superman should come from Krypton, he should land in Kansas, you know, he should be Cared for by you know Mom Pa Kent Mom Pa Kent right, and he he should probably be allergic to kryptonite and you know he should be able to fly and like there are these these things that should be true about Superman right, right. right. and can he throw a cellophane s off his chest <laughs> uh, yeah you know, mm, right maybe, maybe well the funny thing I mean even that specific things is uh, played with in the Red Sun mm-hmm. uh, uh, storyline from Marvel which yes. was like what if we you know, those three assumptions are completely false. Right. He still can fly and is a really good kryptonite, but he lands in Russia. And how right. is that different? Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think that also, yeah, like that's a great example. So so I think with with a lot of things in the Forgotten Realms, uh, like, for example, we talked uh, earlier uh, about Kelvin. Um, you know, there are certain essential truths about the characters and about the places that, that need to remain true, regardless of the storytelling genre that you're in or the medium that you're in. And, uh, you know, I really look forward to um, sort of surfacing those things so that, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter that on such and such a date, Kelvin was here and he did met this wizard and they talked about blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, 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 no. What's, what's essential about Kelvin is that he is this manipulative, long-term planner, arch wizard, you know, crazy kind of immortal dude who still, despite all of these weird and um, dark things that he does, has the best intentions, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's an interesting character. I and mean, you know, That's the kind of character I'd like to see in a movie or a TV series or a novel or that kind of a thing. Yeah. Nice. And then the other thing that, I mean, we have to consider, too, is with a property that's been around as long as D&D has, we have to stay contemporary to mm-hmm. contemporary themes and issues and kind of what's happening in the world. Um, we want a more diverse world. Um, than we did 30, 40 years ago. Right. And so yeah. we will make changes to make the world feel more relatable to the people experiencing it today. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's always going to evolve and change and adapt. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I really like that idea. Cool. 
All right. Well, uh, uh, and also uh, what we're talking about here is like we're giving like even these lore segments that we've been doing, we're giving those tenants that you're talking about, Matt, of like, you know, these are the, the touchstones of gnolls, these are the touchstones mm-hmm. of, of yeah. orcs, and these are the touchstones of Waterdeep that we want you to to, to bring forth. Um, don't necessarily need to adapt everything that we've said, and they were just giving you tools that you could possibly use. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I love that. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for justifying our existence. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thank you guys for listening. And This uh, existence will change. <laughs> yeah, right. We'll update this existence when it's, when it's no longer necessary yes. in, in 20, 2019. Uh, all right. Thank you guys so much. And uh, yeah, we'll talk more about more lore tidbits soon. All right. Thank you. That was a lot of lore. And it was lore that you should have known already, oh, honestly. But great. now you do, you know, you're, you're refreshed. Yeah. Yeah, your memory's refreshed. Yeah, good stuff. As always. <laughs> Every time. Every time. They knew it. It's so good. Yeah. All right, so now it's time for our wonderful guests. Yay, about so, time. Yeah, all those God. questions that you've been, like, pining to ask. I know. Should have wrote, wrote them down. Well, they're all, you know, indelibly no, marked now, upon your mind. No, all that lore I should have known is in there. <laughs> Well, we can ask them about that lore, too. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, let's get on the horn. Hello. Hello. Welcome, guys. Uh, Thanks for coming on uh, Dragon Talk. Yeah, glad to be here. My pleasure. We have uh, me and Shelly. Hello. uh, And uh, Adam Coble. Hello. Hey, hey. Hey. (laughs) From Roll20. What would would your your, uh, position be at Roll20? I mean, the, the neutralist way to describe me is uh, co-designer of Dungeon World, but I'm GM in residence at Roll20, and I'm uh, a GM for uh, Roleplay. Sweet. Oh. Yeah. And we're also joined by JP McDaniel. Hey, Janie. JP, how you doing? Hey, how's it going, guys? And what would your, how would you describe yourself uh, uh, in, in 30 words or less? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, I always get weird at this question, too. I, I guess... Uh, Streamer, content creator, and creator of roleplay, maybe, I, I guess. is I'm okay with that. Yeah. That works. <laughs> it's always such a weird thing to uh, <clears throat> when people ask me that question, so hopefully that suffices. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, I feel like you've, you've had practice with that one. You got it down. Uh, so uh, we want to get into, uh, you know, how you guys were around for when streaming, roleplaying, and Dungeons & Dragons was, was kind of new. Um, but before we get to that, we always like to ask about like, what was your first D and D experience? Like where, where, what did you, what was your experience like that got you hooked that made you feel, uh, like this is something that you, uh, you wanted to get into and it could be super early in life. It could be late in life. Uh, what, what do you think? Uh, Adam, Adam, why don't, Adam, why don't you take us back 20 years and tell us you're yeah. the old guy. <laughs> Going the way back. Machine. I was going to say, yeah, my, my, my story is probably a lot longer than JP's, but I'll, I mean, I played, I played D and D for the first time when I was. 10 uh, my my uncle had uh, bequeathed to me uh, a box of his stuff from when he was a teenager and it was it was all AD&D material and uh, you know heavy metal magazines and don't give heavy metal magazines to a 10 year old um, <laughs> but the rest of it was good um, and I you know I had I had dabbled in you know real early magic the gathering at that time and stuff and so I was already well into the fantasy game um, but I, I took to it right away uh, you know, I, I challenge any adult to learn how to play advanced Dungeons and Dragons, just from alone, the book? a ten-year-old. But, yeah, it's natural. Yeah, but we, you know, we we saw there were some cool pictures of like elves and stuff, and my brother and I had context for those things. So, 
yeah, it was a it was a, a a long time of pretending to play the game or thinking I was playing the game before I really started to figure out like, oh wait, this is a game with rules and there's like a way you can play it. Um, but I've been playing role playing games uh, pretty heavily since then. It's always been a, a big part of the the games that I play. Was it your older brother or your younger uh, brother? Definitely, it's, it's my younger brother. Okay, um, I was uh, yeah, I was ten and he was seven, I think, at the time. So. Yeah, he, he doesn't play D&D as much as he used to, but I, I definitely play it more. It's good having like a uh, built-in audience. Yeah. I yeah, like- it was it was me and my little brother and then, uh, you know, our, our rotating cast of friends that would uh, come in and out of our campaigns. So your uncle chose you. Yeah, well, There's I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that if that makes me like the, the chosen one or if that was a curse. If he was like, well, you're the dorkiest of all the kids in our family. So, <laughs> so the being good is I distinctly remember standing outside of his house and he was moving and he was like, here's a bunch of crap I don't want from when I was a teenager <laughs> and, you know, getting into his Pontiac Sunfire and, and driving off into the distance. Um, but it, it definitely was one of those bequeathings things of like, here's a thing I liked when I was, I don't yeah. know, an approximate age that's like yours. Have it. Go and go and do the thing. Go forth. And now look. I've, been, I've been doing the thing ever since. Yep. Does he know now, you're still know. doing now the look, thing? Now look what happened. You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if uh, if if he does. Thanks, Brian. You you did it. Good, good work. <laughs> He's clearly well, your listening. brother. Your brother's name's Brian as well. My uncle's name is Brian. Yeah. Uncle's name. Okay. Jeez, yeah. that was about to get weird. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So what yeah, what we do? It's it's always been a family thing for for me, for my brother and I at least, because we we played all the time growing up. Um, so yeah, yeah, what kind of I would talk a little bit about like what I mean. You said those first few sessions were probably not actually playing. What was what was it like? I mean, I think like a lot of like a lot of kids coming into D and D without anyone to teach them. Like we didn't back in my day, we didn't have the Adventurers League or anything <laughs> like that to like teach you how to play. It was just like I don't know. You, it's the oral the oral tradition of D and D, right? I lived in a, a relatively small town in BC, and it was a real long way from Gen Con or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, it was very much just interpreting like there are objects of gameplay here, right? And I know I can be a fighter or a wizard or a magic user. Uh, I know that I can be an elf or a dwarf. I don't know how those things interact. I guess they're stats. My parents bought me some weird dice. <laughs> um, you know, and so it's it's what's really cool is that I think that when you give kids uh, a game that's too complex for them, uh, they will, if they're interested in the material, they will design their own game out of the ephemera that they can understand. Yeah. So, you know, all of the touchstones of D&D are still, are still there in my, my memory of playing a game as a kid, right? Like I, I had all of that kind of... D&D's material, there were magic missiles, there were fireballs, there were displacer beasts, but the rules really weren't the way they're written in the book, at least not till, not till much later. You know, it took, it took until second edition uh, and, and having some exposure to other games to really get me to understand kind of how game design works. But uh, I think, you know, as a, as a kid, you still take inspiration from the stuff that's in front of you. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's funny how much it was, you know, and this is how I kind of explain it to people who don't know what it is. It's like it's imagination. It's it's that playing pretend with some structure and rules and you know a bit of a culture thing behind it. You know, you kind of have to know what, not know, but you kind of have to uh, play with what elves and dwarves and and, and hobbits are a, a bit uh, to to get behind it. Yeah, well, and and the the sort of funny thing is that like D and D, despite being um, if not the progenitor, but the the sort of curator of a lot of that kind of fantasy ephemera, 
um, you know, I didn't, it came to me from second or third tier sources that drew from D&D as well, right? Like yeah. when I was a kid, I had played Final Fantasy on my Nintendo, but did not know it was inspired by D&D. You know, I'd read, I had read the, the Drizzt novels without even knowing D&D was a thing. I was like, this is about a cool story about a guy with some swords. <laughs> and then later I was like, wait a second, I can be a cool guy with swords? It just like blew my mind. But I had all of that material from things that were based on D&D without ever it's like watching the Simpsons and then going back and watching Citizen Kane and being like wait a second I know this movie yeah. because it's so heavily referred to elsewhere so the the cultural reference were there for me even as a kid yeah getting into D&D well that's fascinating um what about what about you JP how was how was how was your introduction to D&D um <clears throat> I think I was and Adam, I've told you this story before, so maybe you can help me fill in the blanks if I forget something. But I think I, think I was 15 in high school, and uh, third edition had just come out, I think, if that, if I'm aligning those numbers correctly. And uh, my brother had played before, um, and he was going over to a um, his boss's house, because uh, he worked at GameWorks, and his the employees there had a little game that they were playing. Um and I think I couldn't get out of it somehow. I think my parents were gone and I had to go. <laughs> and I was kind of the the cool I, – I didn't want to play D&D. I had heard things that it was just the most nerdy thing you could play. So I wasn't super into it at the time. Uh, and I remember I went over and played and, and I had a terrible character that did absolutely nothing and died in the first session. And we never went back and revisited. Uh, and then I didn't really play again until I think I was – about 25 or 26 and that was the first episode of role play so it it uh it was not a love affair with the uh with the game right off the bat but definitely down the line when, when we started doing it for shows and stuff is when it started to come to uh, fruition so a little bit different of a story than adam for sure <laughs> yeah yeah that's crazy so it's, I, it's I, funny because I, you, you know you you describe you describe your experience as like you know showing up and making a terrible character and getting killed and you know, I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, some things change, but some things are <laughs> <stay> the same. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and some problem. some people it hooks on to uh, for that reason. Be like, I want to go and make a better character and, and or, you know, have a different story. Yeah. And some people are like, yeah, no, I'm not. Uh, we'll, we'll see. So what was it about yeah. starting it up uh, for for role play that that made you want to get back into it? Um, I, I think it was. One, when when I was you know 14 or 15, I didn't buy into the idea of, of what was going on. I, I didn't sit down at a table with the idea of like, all right, well let's let's put all this in my head and make an actual, you know, make this all real inside of my mind. I, it was more like, man, these guys are these guys are drinking, and I'm 15, and this is a really weird place for me to be. It was just <laughs> a, an odd situation altogether. So when yeah. we started doing it again when I was a little bit older, <clears throat> I was able to drink. Well, the, the drinking I was, I, I was totally sober the first episode, regardless. But it, it was more just the idea of, the, of you know, I, w I was playing with my friends, and it, it was on my own. I, I guess I had more control over the situation. Is, is probably when you boil it down to the the purest form. I was able to, uh, you know, kind of take the game at a pace that I wanted to take it in, and the people that I was uh, playing with were my friends, and so we all kind of had a common goal. Um, and the the a lot of people don't remember this necessarily, but the first first time we ever recorded anything with the actual group, um, it was never aired. I, I don't even know if we have that recording still. Ooh, the uh, but we did episode. kind of a test session to see how it would all go down and kind of get people familiar with, with what was going down. Um, and it was pretty terrible. I, I forgot. I think it was your standard <laughs> therapy. 
first thing ever in, in Dungeons and Dragons where we fought a bunch of kobolds and we walked around in town and people did the thing like, oh, I want to go to the bar and drink, and then the character got drunk, et cetera. So you're, you're normal stuff. But apart from that, it, it was probably just the people I was playing with that uh, that definitely hit it off and made me a lifelong fan for sure. Nice. That helps for sure. And Adam, were you, were you the DM? Uh, no, no, I, I got I got into I got into role play sometime later. Like how long how long had you guys been doing shows when we started Swan Song? Like a year and a half? Um maybe longer? Yeah, probably about a year and a half, maybe maybe yeah. Maybe a year and nine months. I don't know yeah. the exact date, but something like that, yeah. Adam was the yeah. the third GM that we brought on to to role play. Mm-hmm. Um the GM that we were using at the time was a guy by the name of Neil Erickson who still does uh, D&D shows, I think, seven days a week on his Twitch channel. Oh, wow. Um, and then the second GM we brought along was uh, Stephen Lumpkin, which is how I actually ended up meeting Adam. Right, right. I remember that. So just in case people aren't familiar, just would you want to give a, a little background on what roleplay is and where people can look it up? Sure, totally. Um, roleplay is, it, it started out as one show. We've we franchised out into, I, oh, man, I probably... 12 to 13 <laughs> campaigns over the course of the four years. We've got our four-year anniversary coming up in February. Oh, wow. Uh, but uh, it, it is in its purest form just a, or, or boiled down at least, it, it is a uh, tabletop show where we bring together a bunch of different content creators, um, whether they are a part of the D&D world already or whether they've never played before. Uh, we kind of just bring them in and, and let them go at it and experience the world of Dungeons & Dragons for the first time. So... That's that. Thank you. <laughs> I know what it is because I, I do my research, but <clears throat> because it's called role play and you're talking about role playing, it's just yeah, just in case it can get confusing. sure. Yeah, yeah that's in case. It, it, it's hard when when you're talking about that because it, it, it's R O L L as if you can thank my brother for the stupid name. It's R O L L rolling a dice and then playing is like role play, and a lot of times that doesn't come through when we're just talking about it. Yeah, um, but yeah, just if you just Google that. I think the SEO search on the first one is, believe it or not, it is a Canadian television show oh. or, or pro- <laughs> a Canadian product. Or, when, we, when we went to trademarking for it, we had to consider what we were going to do because there was a Canadian something with the same exact name um, that already had that. So don't go to that. Go to like the second or third one uh, and that'll be us. <laughs> Silly Canadians. Always messing yep. things up. Yeah, you're always messing the things up. <laughs> so yeah, like so the 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 heady days of 2013 when you guys were starting this. I know when you were talking about that, I thought it must have been going on for years and years, but no, four years. Yeah, well, I mean, it feels like a long time because but it's become so ubiquitous. Yeah. I mean, at least for, yep. for for us in the in the role playing world, you know, it feels like watching people play is uh, you know so commonplace now. But I mean, it really wasn't in 2013. You guys were very new. I mean, there was we did the the a few acquisitions incorporated shows. Uh, at big events, and we had the the podcast, you know, in in 2008. Uh, but before that, there was there was really none of that. So, w- what what made you what what gave you the idea to start streaming uh, a live play like this? Uh, it it really was Acquisitions Incorporated. I think I had watched. I think there had been two recorded shows out when we started our stuff. Yeah. Um, and really, we I didn't expect, or I didn't start the show, or we didn't record the show. Uh, with the idea of like, oh man, this is going to be a huge hit. It was really just, hey, we're going to 
play a game and if you guys I, I think the first or two weeks before we even played it was like hey do you guys want us to stream this is this something you guys would want us to watch because uh, I come from a, an esports background yeah and a bunch of people on the show did as well in fact one of them was a, a professional gamer who's been on a multitude of shows since then uh, with EG and Control um, and who's a StarCraft player um, but yeah it, it really was just like yeah I guess we should stream this I, I don't know what it's going to look like I don't know how we show the roles uh, and that's where Roll20 came into effect. I think they were just starting off, so that kind of worked out. Um, and it started off, and we had about three or 4,000 viewers on the, the first show, and we were kind of all taken back that people actually wanted to watch us. And, and I think at that time, people were watching it more for the idea of, like, look at these people completely out of their element playing a game that they have no idea what they're doing. And <laughs> Four or five episodes in, they're like, wow, this is actually kind of fun. I'm getting into the story, and you know, these characters are a lot of fun, and they're actually trying to create characters that are interesting and, and unique and do things that are not normal. Um, and then that kind of spurred off, and I think there was, I don't know how many episodes we did of the first show. It's one of the longest-running ones for sure. But Because um, back, back then, the way that we did VODs was, was different, where a four-hour session was eight VODs because it was 30 minutes each. So... I think there's probably like 750 VODs of that first show um, before we, we turned it into another show. But yeah, it, it went for a while, and I don't think anyone, especially myself, knew. Like, if you would have told me when I was 25 working at Major League Gaming in New York and, and start, or broadcasting StarCraft as a, a commentator and all that stuff that four years or five years down the line that I would be the creator of all this weird D dungeons and dragon stuff and that would be my life i would probably just laugh at your face <laughs> <laughs> the funny it's thing very, is, yeah it's a very odd situation that i've ended up but i couldn't be happier that i've ended up here i think uh, uh i think even if you told people here at D, &D uh that that was going to be the case right. not, not even you know your specific story but like i think we would have done the same i yeah. mean it was very much like whoa this is I, it's it's so strange how this is like lightning in a bottle almost and like all right yeah let's go with this this is yeah it, it really has blown up in the past, uh, I would say, probably 15 months, uh, you know, critical or maybe even before that critical role kind of put everyone on the on the map with uh, with their numbers. And yeah, uh, acquisitions incorporated, obviously, was probably one of the first and they've just gotten bigger and bigger each year. And they put a lot more effort into um, everything pre and post show. Uh, the, the main show is still fantastic. I love everything that they do there. Mm -hmm. um, and I've. I've been in the audience once i'm hoping uh for pack south this week uh that i'm able to go to the audience but it's actually really hard to get a seat there those are always full like you need before... to know the right people i was just gonna say you're talking you're right talking people. to one of them right now yeah. we may <laughs> well, be able hint, to get you in it's not me <laughs> yeah the, the other thing is that it always conflicts like we, we do panels all the time too but hopefully i i can try to get in there and and, and watch this weekend I'm, I'm i'm always watching the uh the vods after the fact but yeah yeah absolutely I've been live viewing before one thing, one thing I think is interesting, and I think that a lot of people either don't know this or kind of overlook that. So I, I come from like my angle into all of this is in the sort of indie tabletop RPG development space. And there have been actual play podcasts, like audio only actual play podcasts of like full sessions for the purposes of review and analysis for years, like yeah. years and years, like way before Acquisition Incorporated was a thing. Um, but it did it did really take and, and I think this is a big thing for role play. It, it took having people who are popular in another avenue, another venue with their own audience. Right. So like the, the Penny Arcade folks, um, you know, obviously what JP was saying with the esports folks, being able to bring in that audience that's like, we've heard about D&D &D because as a brand, D&D &D is basically universal 
inherently prevalent, right? People know what it is, even if they've never played it, they have some idea of how it works. But yeah. being able to recontextualize people they already know in that structure, at the very least, the people are going to do silly voices and you're going to like get to see them kind of make a fool of themselves. But as we had more and more of that happen, as more and more of those audiences built, there were people who were like, oh, I'm here to watch Jeff because I know him from StarCraft. But actually, this is really cool. And it gives the, the casters an opportunity to flex their creative muscles in a way that I think their audience doesn't always get access to as well. Yeah, I think that's well, true. And I think um, also, I think that's that's been the big that's been the big drive. Yeah. And I think I mean, you're absolutely true in that. Uh, when it was when role play was kind of pitched to me, I was at the uh, the Escapist back in 2013, uh, and but I remember someone specifically I knew was a an RTS fan and followed kind of the esports scene, and he knew that I liked Dungeons and Dragons, uh, and he was like, "Oh, have you heard about this this you know Starcraft player who's who's playing the thing? It's actually really cool." And I was like, "Oh yeah, that that is that does sound fun. I would totally watch that." And I you know started watching it, and it, and I I feel like you're right. The com- combining of those two audiences into a Venn diagram uh, that is slowly grown like so that that middle portion of the Venn diagram is now much bigger than it was but you needed those two yeah. things happening at the same time in order well, to, to get that popularity. For, for me for me what was interesting is that I, I I mean I came into this world not knowing anything about esports or, or the personalities or any of that stuff and, and I remember having friends message me, friends who are familiar with competitive StarCraft message me and say like, hey, um, you know, it, me, JP and Day9 and DJ Wheat, they're, they're playing your game. They're playing Dungeon World on this on this weird Twitch stream. And I remember replying and being like, who? Like, I don't I don't know who these people are. Yeah. And my friends being like, what? Like, how do you not? You're a terrible nerd. I'm like, no, I'm just I don't I don't know. And, it, you know, it, it it's one of those things that, that happened, at least for the first uh, the first little while happened to me where I would get uh, into groups. This happened with uh, with Mirror Shades, with our Shadowrun game. You know, I'm, I'm GMing for a group, and we're, we've been playing for a few weeks, and then I finally get around to, like, looking them up on the internet and being like, oh, you're, like, actually, like, really famous. Funny. <laughs> right, because like, I, I, I come at this stuff, uh, or at least did. I'm, I'm a lot, like, deeper in the world now, but I came at this stuff as, like, I'm the guy that knows about tabletop RPGs, and I'm, I'm doing the GM thing. And, like, I get that these people have their, their own audience, but it, it repeatedly happened where I'd be like, Kind of exposed to the 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 e fame of uh, of folks that to me were just like oh this is the person that plays, you know the the dove shaman in my right shadowing right and I think that so I it's mean, been yeah it's been really cool getting dunked into the world from the other side. Do you think that that also like that I don't want to say normalization but like that idea of like uh, here are people who you might put on a pedestal might think that are bigger larger than life. Uh, here they are and they're just another person at the table playing this game that you can also sit at the table and play. You know, I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm not, I'm not the kind of person that gets like starstruck easily. Like, mm. I've, I've played games, I've GM'd for people who I think might be considered. Like, we did a, we did a one shot of uh, Dogs in the Vineyard uh, not that long ago, and the cast was uh, Matt Mercer and Jerry from from Penny Arcade, um, Austin Walker and, and JP. And mm-hmm. when we announced it. You know, I had a lot of people asking me, like, oh, my God, are you, like, are you nervous? They're so famous. And I'm like, yeah, but we're, we're playing D&D. Like, role-playing games are, are a great equalizer because I don't care how famous you are. I'm the game master, yo. Like, right? I have right? a role to play. I have a role to play, and you do, too, and we all have our own job to perform. And it's its its, its own little world in a very literal sense that we're we're making a story together. And, like, it's cool to get to play with, with people who have these big audiences, like, big creative uh, spaces. But... For me, the the role playing game always took over. It was always like, you know, we're we're engaging in this creative endeavor together, and that that kind of flattened it out, that neutralizes it for me. Yeah, um, I think that makes sense. Yeah. And well, Adam, 
You're famous too. <laughs> I mean, God, you know, nah. it's no, 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 not at all. <laughs> Jakey, you are too, <laughs> right? You both well, no, are. That's, like, that's the thing, right? Like on, on the on the on the core, like base level, like there are metrics for these things, and I'm I'm playing games with people who have lots more audience, lots more followers, lots more like reach than I do. Uh, and so I'm, I'm always, and I, I think it's good. It keeps me humble. I'm, I'm the little guy. I'm okay with that. Well, maybe they were nervous about playing with you. That's true. I don't know. Hey, Greg I and I were know. saying before you guys got on the phone that you are the pioneer, you're pioneers in this genre, that you guys were streaming before people knew streaming was really going to be a thing. So I mean, J JP, you certainly were. That's That's very true of you, yeah. for sure. <clears throat> so yeah, I, mean, I I I consider it all luck, but yeah, it, <laughs> I, right place, I don't know right about time. any of this pioneer nonsense. I just consider right time, right place for a well, lot of it. But yeah, you're describing you're describing an attack of opportunity, JP, is what you're describing. <laughs> you were there, you and were the opportunity there? moved by, and then you hit it. Yeah, probably. And you kept hitting it. Yeah, over and over <laughs> and over. <laughs> That's what you and do. by pioneer, we mean that you have you were like in a covered wagon, right. and uh, you lived very simply. <laughs> I have played a, yeah, I've done that before, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you played Oregon Trail once or twice. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, Adam, uh, what does it mean to be the GM in residence at Roll Twenty? So, for for my my role at uh, at Roll Twenty from from the outside, um, you know, is pretty pretty similar to what I do with with Roleplay, right? We have uh, we have shows. We do two shows uh, weekly on the the Roll Twenty Twitch channel, um, and I, I engage with the with the community about those shows on a character level. We talk about the story, and and I do the social media thing. Um, but also, I you know I act as a, a sort of brand ambassador for the for the Roll Twenty uh, virtual tabletop. They uh, they approached me when they were looking to get into doing some some live streaming with their their VTT, and you know we we talked a lot initially about because I think this is this is a really important thing for for me particularly, um, but I think for a lot of casters that the groups that we work with, whether they're an indirect sponsorship or whether it's a direct partnership like I have with, with Roll20, we want to be able to be ourselves, right? Because I think a big part of streaming and, and broadcasting is being able to say what you want to say and not worry that, you know, your sponsor is going to get upset about it. So you have those conversations early on. And, uh, you know, we have a we have a really good rapport with the folks at, at Roll20 and I. Um, and so what I do is act as, uh, as sort of their... Um, their their GM uh, in the spotlight. So if people have questions about how to use the the tabletop or how to organize groups, uh, you know they know that they can come to me uh, about those. Whether they're questions about role playing in general or specifically about using the the roll twenty tool. Cool. That makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you guys get uh, asked this a lot, but uh, you know, and, you, and JP, you described this as as it being luck. But you know, say someone wants to start up their stream, what's what's something that you would recommend as a as a good first tip? Um, first tip would probably be dependent or, or, or find out if you want to do this for fun or if you're trying to do this for a living. Mm. Um, and if it comes down to fun, just start up your stream and roll with whatever you're trying to do. If you're trying to do it for a living, uh, sit back, kind of evaluate everyone else's, what everyone else is doing at that point and approach it from that angle. Like do your research first before you actually do it. Cause 99% of the time, it's probably not going to work out for the first week, the first month, maybe not even first year, but just understand that it, it's going to take a while and, and unless you're one of the very, very few, it's not going to work out right off the bat for you. And when I say very few, yeah, I, I mean like the ones and twos of people. 
<laughs> yeah, the 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 slice of of the the total overall streamer base that can can do this every day all day as as their job is is very thin. But I think you can get involved, and in, and this this is advice that I'll I'll give anybody who wants to get into streaming. Because I think you can get involved in other ways than just jumping in sight unseen and saying, "Okay, I'm here." Form a community around me. You know, get 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 in my stream. Getting involved in other people's streams is a mm. really good way to 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 make your presence known, right? Show that you care about the the space, right? Be be a mod for someone else. Be a regular in someone else's channel. Have have conversations. Participate. And I know lots of people who are who are streamers who got there from modding someone else's stream. Um, you know, being a part of, uh, of another community. Uh, and I know that a lot of streamers, um, Co, uh, Co Carnage is really good for this uh, in that they, they have a big audience and they use it to boost smaller streamers, yeah. um, whether through hosting or just hosting community events, that kind of thing. Um, so being able to be a part of a, another larger community means that when it's your turn to take the, take the spotlight and make that, that leap into streaming yourself, you know, you've got people who know you already and who might be interested in coming and checking out what you have to say. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's always a, a weird question for me to answer because when I started seven years ago, the rules were completely different. Mm -hmm. And so I only know what works for other people that have, you know, like people like Adam who have who have started streaming out of nowhere the past two or three years and have found uh, a lot of success doing it. So I, I never have a personal answer for that. I always kind of answer what everyone else has said because <laughs> when I started, there was no rules. And there still <laughs> isn't for the most part now, but there are definitely steps that will help you Put yourself in a better place. Right. So what are those? I'm curious. Best practices. Now that you've got seven years under the belt, you said there's a first episode that maybe is somewhere collecting dust that has never aired or maybe never will air. What would you tell the people in that first episode now, now that you know? Um, I mean, one, one mantra that I've kind of always lived by is just do it. Even if you're, you have no idea what, it is. I, think I read that on like, a T-shirt once. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it. It is just stream. Like just turn on the stream, and you'll. The second you turn on the stream, if you have a singular person watching, have a conversation with that person. Um, and, and that doesn't necessarily work for shows so much, but just in the general practice of streaming, if you have a person watching, even if it's your mom, have a conversation oh. with your mom in the chat, because then you'll start to understand. Like, you have to have a interaction, and there has to be a uh, give and take between the people watching your stream and the actual streaming. It's not just, you're not just turning on a stream and playing video games and that's it. You're, you're turning on a stream and, and having interactions with other people at the same time of playing games. And I think when you're a smaller streamer, and Adam, you can either tell me I'm an idiot or, or confirm this, but I think when you're a smaller streamer starting out, it, it's more important that you interact with the audience than it is how good or bad you're playing the game. If you're running into a wall, but you're actually talking to someone, that, they're probably going to enjoy you very, the stream better. That's some very low, very low key shade, JP. I appreciate that. Nice and subtle. Adam, <laughs> tell me. So, what is it like being bad at video games and also streaming? <laughs> <laughs> how do you? I how do you feel every that day way? Being terrible. I didn't mean it's, it that way. I mean, like in know, the two hundred, three hundred range. Is is it worth it more to talk to people, or is it worth more just to play the game? Yeah. I think. I mean, I think it 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 really depends. And this is this is what makes giving advice. Ice hard um, because everybody's got their own their own jam, right? Like when when we when we come together as a group to play uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, for role play, you know we're all doing the same thing. We're we're bringing our own personality to it. But when we when we go home to our, our own streams, you know you're gonna tune in to, to JP or or Dan's gaming or Gassy Mexican or, or my stream, and we're all real different when we're on our own. 
Um, and while there's certainly some some crossover there, I think everybody has found their their niche, right? And you know, I, I'm teasing JP, but I'm not that good at video games. You don't have to be good; you just have to have something. Like for me, it's talking about game design. It's talking about you know social impact and narrative design in games. Um, but for other people, it's just busting out those epic strats. Right, right. So it, it really depends on you and finding that combination of like the things that you give a shit about, the things you're passionate about and lining those up with the things your audience is interested in and then developing the two kind of in uh, in concurrent. Right. And that makes sense for, for the solo kind of, you know, talking to the audience, you know, playing video games, streaming. Um, and uh, one thing that I've always noticed, too, though, is in the in when you're playing role playing games, you know, uh, it's often hard just to turn on the webcam and 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 have a stream that's watchable because audio always becomes uh, a problem oh definitely yeah so yeah. i mean we were talking actually before the stream started about all the 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 equipment that you guys have invested in uh, in order to do it you don't necessarily need to go so uh you know prosumer even you can do it with uh with 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 cheaper gear but just making sure that people can hear what's happening around the table um you know is always something that i i, I say is like hey if you're going to invest in one thing invest in that Definitely, yeah. I think audio, more than any other technical aspect of a stream, is the most important part. You can have a camera, and as long as it's giving video of some quality, it's mm -hmm. probably okay. But if your audio is messed up, it's just going to piss people off, and they're not going to watch for more than 30 seconds. Yeah, and, and, and that can be messed up in a multitude of ways. It could be cracking. It could be one person super low, one person super high. It could be, you know, a... a, a police car driving by nonstop or people outside talking or you're in a, a room where there's multiple people talking and that's feeding into the mic. Like there's so many different aspects of audio that are so important that it needs to be isolated sound. It needs to be normalized. It needs to not have, you know, loud crackles, loud pops. You can't be bouncing your knee and, and rocking the, the mic stand. If you have one of those, like th there's so many different things that we've encountered over the past four years that it, I have to constantly remind cast members that, that are new to it where I'm just like, Hey, don't please don't do that. Like right. this is what it sounds like when you do, and I'll try to, you know, imitate the sound, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that does sound awful." Please never do that again. I'm like, "Yeah, exactly." <laughs> now imagine three thousand people listening to that, or however many viewers we have, right. and uh, they're gonna have a bad time. So audio is without a doubt the, the most important thing on a stream. We know people yeah. like to eat Cheetos when they're when they're playing <laughs> D and D, but please mute the mic. That's exactly. That's, yeah. that's why that's why we got mute buttons. I think. I mean, yeah, like like to to JP's point, we're in this position where individually we have to have that high quality idea of of audio for our own streams but when you're managing five people's audio input or four people's audio input uh it's it's much harder right there's there's a lot that goes on in the production side of a uh, a role play episode or a, a roll 20 episode and you know we have to we have to be aware of all that stuff all at once so it is it is challenging right creating that kind of that kind of content uh in a way that everyone is going to be on the same uh the same playing field in terms of audio quality um, but it's definitely the place to start for sure totally makes yeah. sense. It, it's also, a, uh, for me, it was a learned skill. Like back four years ago when we started the show and even before that, I was the person that would sit on, uh, at least in my esports gig, I was the guy that would sit down at a desk and talk and didn't have to think anything about audio. And now I'm the guy that sits down at the desk and has to think everything about audio. And that's because mm -hmm. over the four years, I've learned what it is that I'm doing. But if you enter, enter into it now and you don't know, it, you're going to have a really tough time gaining any traction in terms of viewership because people just won't sit around for that. And so it's really best to go into it with someone that does know audio or 
a bunch of practice runs on a different channel than having like an official launch or, or something else. Cause if you don't have it right the first time, a lot of people just will never tune back in. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. So, uh, so you mentioned how you had a, a bunch of different, uh, uh, GMs over the course of, of role play, uh, and all the different shows. Uh, have you ever, uh, dungeon master JP? Yeah, we did, uh, we did one stint of, uh, where I DM'd, uh, I think it was our, I think it was D and D 2.0. And I did that for about, I think maybe 15, four hour episodes. Maybe that's too many. Uh, then I switched over to, uh, Adam's game back when I actually just met Adam, uh, dungeon world. Right. Um, and I got to ask him about 3000 questions a day, which I'm sure he loved wow. <laughs> Came to, <laughs> Came to uh, having DMing a game designer game. talk about his game. Of course, he loved it. Yeah, well, it was more like Adam, the player wants to do this. Can they do that? I don't. You're the GM. You know, why you know asking, I don't ask you me know here. What, Greg, <laughs> you know what, Greg? Why don't you go over to Mike Merles' office and ask him how much he likes people tweeting at him about the Ranger? Just ask oh him. yeah, see, well, they, see how Mike not, feels about that. Yeah, there's a difference between like <laughs> let's talk positively about my game versus like why did you break this? You, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. So what it's, did you? Uh, yeah, what was your experience I, like uh, dungeon mastering? My experience was this is so much for me to handle when it came to also running the show. Mm. Uh, so much so that after about, I would say probably twenty sessions, I was just I, I couldn't do it. I was wow, done. Twenty uh, sessions though, that's a lot. Yeah, it, it took me way too long to realize that that <laughs> doing everything of running the stream and and running like there were times where we'd be like twenty minutes into a battle or something like that. And a lot of times I'll monitor chat to see if they see anything that's messed up because chat always knows best in some situations. They do. Uh, and so I'll, I'll use them as kind of like, well, I think everything's running smooth. Let's just look over and glance at chat. Yep, okay, no one's complaining or no one's spamming nonstop. Something's wrong. So that's good. Um, and so like 20 minutes into a session or into a fight, I just didn't have the rolls up that we were using to fight. And so no one knew what was actually going on because we were just like, oh, yeah, you did it. Congrats. Oh man, you missed, and there was no actual like. Well, he rolled a twenty, and that person rolled a five, or that person rolled a six. So they got very upset, and and I think around that time I was just like, I can't, I can't manage the show and also DM at the same time. And DM is also exhausting. It it is. You have to plan so much that a lot of people don't. I think a lot of uh, viewers of roleplay don't understand that Adam is, for the most part, some shows he he can kind of wing it, but. For the most part, he's you know spending an hour or two every week for each and every one of the shows he's on to kind of plan out what's going to go on and plan out what's going to happen. And then most of the time, the players on the show don't even get to see any of that content because yeah. they go a completely different way. Right. And I think that's kind of GMing in a nutshell. So doing that and also running the show at the same time is just way too much work. So I'll probably never do it again unless someone's running something for me. Right, right. Um, and yeah, no, I, I totally uh, believe that Dungeon mastering is the most mentally exhausting thing that you can do uh, uh, in gaming. So having to do that, in addition to like basically producing a show, uh, would uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, well, you know, what's great about about doing this uh, online is imagine imagine the task of being a dungeon master, and then I'm gonna go and I'm gonna get six thousand people, and we're gonna sit them down in front of you, and they're gonna yell at you the whole time. <laughs> yeah. About yeah. everything, and sometimes it's going to be happy yelling, and sometimes it's going to be angry yelling. You, you're not going to be able to tell most of the time, right? Uh, but there, yeah. there they are. There they are. I always thought that there was. Uh, it was so funny when, when, because uh, I, I didn't meet uh, Matthew Mercer until probably, probably like mid uh, 2016, and so I was like, he never really complains about any of this. Maybe Adam's just kind of, maybe he's just a little bit uh, too touchy. And then sure enough, <laughs> it's gotten to the point where like. 
Mercer is is getting a lot of complaints nonstop on Twitter, and he's starting to respond to it. It's like, all right, nope, he's he's normal too. Adam's great. <laughs> We're going to our place. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it is always a thing, and you know, and and yeah, poor poor Matthew uh, and you guys too who have to deal with. Uh, you know, when when it's it's in the game and it's playing, dungeon masters all the time make calls that may not be the letter of you know rule as written, but it's you know for ease of play and making it go forward. And you know, sometimes the players around you will be like, "Hey, that's not how it works." And sometimes you'll talk about it and find what how it does actually work. But it, yes, you're right; it totally gets exacerbated yeah. by having you know, six thousand people I watching. I think the thing all is, we've we've trained we've trained our audience really really well. We like we, have, yeah. I, I I started uh, you know ages ago. I started instituting a you know I am fine with you remembering the rules better than me, which is you you can do that audience. You can have a memory, but give me a page reference. Don't just shout rules at me because sometimes you're wrong too. But they're <laughs> trained now. They know like if I mess up a rule, they're gonna be like this book, this page, check it out on the break. I will. And we go from there. Um, and I I think that people want to engage, right. And, and I would rather have an audience full of people who are doing a combination of the, the rules lawyering and the, the judgment calling and and all of that stuff. I'd rather have that than an an empty room or a room full of people who just don't have any opinion about the content. Like for me, feedback of any kind, whether it's the post show tweets that are like, Oh my God, I loved it. I can't believe this happened. Or the like, Hey, you screwed up this rule. Or I wish this guy hadn't died. Like all of that stuff is all one thing to me. I feel like all that feedback, some of it's harder to, to mine a resource out of, but it's all, it's all good, right? It's all something that shows that people are passionate about the characters. They're passionate about the the stuff that's happening in the game and they're going to keep tuning in because they feel like they've, they've got a, a stake in the world, right? That we don't just, shut them down we don't just say like keep your real shit to yourself i want to hear that stuff i want people to engage yeah yeah yeah. so uh so adam talk talk a little bit about dungeon world uh and 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 what kind of you know what's your what's your elevator pitch on what what sets it apart as far as uh, an rpg goes yeah so so dungeon world um you know sage uh, my my co-creator sage latour and i we we wrote it to be a rule set that simulates the kind of play that was happening when i was you know, 12 playing D and D not really understanding that there are a bunch of complicated rules, just wanting to describe my character doing cool stuff and have the rules introduce things into the game that we didn't expect. Cause that's really my, my approach to rules in games is not that they're there to resolve the, you know, I shot you. No, you didn't situation. They're there to, to introduce complication into the, into the game. Cause if they didn't do that, we would all just be making declarative statements about stuff and saying yes. And, and playing the improv game, mm-hmm. the rules, the rules are a player at the table. So the rules of dungeon world, their job is to listen for certain kinds of descriptions. So if you describe yourself doing a certain thing, then there's a rule for that. The game says, okay, roll the dice. It will go one of these ways. You're either going to get the thing you wanted, go ahead and describe yourself doing a cool thing. And then the GM will move on to the next point. Or you'll fail, in which case the GM can do a bad thing to you, and now you got to deal with that. But most of the time in the game, you're hitting this middle space, and this is what I think makes this game and the games of, of its family, of the, the sort of Powered by the Apocalypse games, makes them so interesting to stream, is that more often than not, the game is just saying, cool, you can have what you want if you're willing to pay for it, right? Like, right. yes, you can totally attack that orc, but he's going to knock your shield off the cliff. Now you don't have a shield. What are you going to do? Like, yes, you can steal the necromancer's wand from his belt while he's sleeping, but the wand is probably going to curse you. Are you willing to pay that price? Um, and so it's, you know, it's a it's a fantasy game that's sort of a love letter to what I remember, that pure, exuberant narrative experience of early Dungeons & Dragons was. 
Um, it's a it's a game I kind of wrote to recapture that feeling of I'm a cool elf with a magic bow and y'all are my cool wizard dwarf and cleric friends and we're going to go and do some rad stuff together. Um, and I, th- I think people have really, really picked up on that. Um, and That's it, cool. It, it, yeah, it makes me really happy to see, uh, you know, the streams that are that are playing it and the the, the pickup games. It's it's good for one shots, which I think makes it a really good game mm. to play on stream because either you're just getting into it, you want a game that's maybe not too complicated, uh, that focuses on narration, lets the players do their thing, um, or you're taking a break from a, a longer, more complex game and you want to just like try to try to give your players a little more authority to narrate stuff. Nice. Way to dip your toe into that space. I like uh, uh, well, two things about what you just said. Number one was that this is going, you know, kind of full circle back to you talking about that first experience uh, that you had with your brother, and you know, recapturing that magic. And I like that, uh, you know, you basically wrote the game to to find that headspace again. I think that's really cool. Um, and then two, it kind of reminds me of uh, uh, you know, games like Fiasco or other kind of story driven. Uh, uh, role-playing games, uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know. There's there's something to mine there for us to talk about too, as far as yeah. I mean, I th- I think that like the I mean, there's no there's no question. Like Dungeon World, we're we're real clear about where where we came from. Dungeon World wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Vincent Baker's Apocalypse World, which wouldn't exist if it were for all of the games that came before it. Uh, you know, Sage and I are both sort of students of the of the Forge uh, of kind of indie RPG design yeah. and just the creation of the game. You know, being able to publish it and and having people to bounce design stuff off of, it wouldn't have been possible without people like Jason Morningstar, who wrote Fiasco, or or Luke Crane, who wrote the the Burning Wheel. The indie tabletop role playing game scene is very tightly knit mm. uh, and and very welcoming of new designers. Um, and and I think it's it's a really cool place to be if you're someone who wants to design your own role playing game uh, For these sure. days. Yeah, and Jason Morningstar is great. When I was in, in Durham, uh, he had uh, uh, a lot of games of fiasco going on uh, and uh, came to the yeah, Escapist Expo and things like that. So he was always uh, mm-hmm. a great person to talk to. And I loved that he was, like you are saying, as open as possible uh, as far as getting more people into it. And they ran a, uh, uh, you know, basically a room where it was like, uh, games on demand is what they called it. And like, hey, you know nothing about role-playing games or games at all? Uh, come into this room and we'll find the game that's right for you. Oh, yeah, uh, game games on games on so demand cool. has become yeah, it's become kind of a constitu uh, like a, a thing that happens at all cons now. Yeah, um, it's a Gen Con, Dragon Con, uh, you know, big or small. Somebody is there with the the little the little green triangle on the table, getting ready to run games on demand. So yeah, it is it is cool that we have all of these these small press games uh, available and that people are so excited about uh, about playing them. There's a big big ecosystem out there. It's really cool. Awesome. Well, uh, where can people find out more about uh, Dungeon World and and uh, what you're doing, Adam? Well, they can uh, they can go to uh, dungeon-world.com if they want to check out the game. The text of the game is uh, licensed under a Creative Commons license, so if you want to read the game before you're interested in, I don't know, buying it, uh, you can do that uh, just through our website. The text is all up there. Um, and uh, if you want to check out anything that, that I'm up to, uh, my website is uh, adam-cobal.com, or you can find me on Twitter at skinnyghost. Skinny ghost. Yeah, and JP, what? Uh, wh- where should people go to check out uh, what the the latest role play is, is happening? Uh, yeah, they can go over to our community website or just itmejp.com and then find our community website there. We have uh, a full on schedule of everything coming up and everything that's happened over at itmejp.com/schedule. Uh, all the vods are on my YouTube channel at youtube.com/itmejp, and all the live shows are over at twitch.tv/itmejp. And if there's any questions, we do have a role play account on Twitter, twitter.com/roleplay with two L's. Um, and you can find all of the uh, the past tweets there that most of the time will link to VODs as well. And then my personal Twitter is twitter.com slash mejp. Awesome. 
and just so everyone knows, VODs is video on demand. Uh, we yeah. sometimes have, have, have people who <laughs> listen to this podcast who are not as, as savvy as, uh, as, as you guys are. So always good to, to explain that I away. I figured it out, Greg. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about the uh-huh. other, other folks, Shelly, uh-huh. not you. I, I, you the wait, other you, old ladies. You didn't know what it was, Shelly? Is that what you're t- <laughs> you're admitting? No, I totally did. <laughs> No. <laughs> nice. And that was that was probably the I mean, as as you know, host of this podcast, uh, you know, we sometimes struggle with that marketing speak. Man, you had that down. That thirty seconds, good. So this <laughs> this is a thing if you've if you've watched and it's a thing I've had to develop and, and you can see when we play games with people who are streamers, everybody's got their they got their spiel, right? Yeah. Like we do yeah. we do shout outs at the end of every episode. It's a little, you know, ten second, where can we find you? What do you up to? And yeah, we get a nail down once you do it five or six thousand times. Yeah. yeah. Kudos to you guys. Good I think skill. I think Shelly and I can learn a lot from that. Yep. <laughs> right. Taking notes now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to uh, talk to us, guys. Yeah, yeah thanks for having us on. Yeah, and I'm yeah. looking forward to to more streaming. Uh, what's what what's uh, coming up on Roleplay that you might want to uh, get people interested in? That's a new show or something. Uh, well, tomorrow we got Court of Swords. We have Court of Swords every Tuesday at four o'clock. Here, I'm going to go back into the spiel. I'm going right back into it. Oh, no. oh yeah. I want to. I went like one that people might not know about, or oh. something that you're like that's brand new uh, that people that on love. February 25th at one o'clock Eastern. Uh, we're doing a role play live episode, which is something that is uh, funded by our Patreon over at Patreon.com/roleplay, and we're doing a uh, four year anniversary uh, special show with Matthew Mercer. Going to be joining us. Adams DMing. Uh, we're doing Swan Song, which is one of our old shows that we had canceled uh, about nine months ago. And we're doing a special one-off eight-hour episode with everyone uh, live in person. And we're really looking forward to that. So that's probably the next big thing that we're doing. That's awesome. It's a Swan Song for Swan Song. Yeah, this is this is... <laughs> Yeah, this is our this is our equivalent to you know bringing the the next generation crew back together to make a movie only good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure, man. I'll go with that, Adam. Sure, I'll right. Go with that. This is this is not first contact. This is uh, no, uh, no, it's gonna be good. not enterprise. It's actually, well, dang it, there's none of them are good. All right, we'll, to, we'll save that for our for our Star Trek Next Generation podcast that I'm starting up. <laughs> Thanks again, you guys. Talk to you soon. Bye, guys. Thanks. Bye. Those were two very nice gentlemen to speak to. Very nice. Very nice. Celebrities. Yes, yes. So humble, but I mean, it's kind of true. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they realize. Well, they they realize. They got they got the followings. They got the followings. They got the numbers. Yeah. Cool. I learned a lot. Yeah, I we're actually taking notes. I, did I could take see. Notes. Yeah, very comprehensive. Uh, uh, Notes. Mm-hmm. I even <laughs> circled some things. I saw you doing that. Angry circle. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and then, the, oh, is that a picture of hell? That, yes. That, yeah, that's right. just my usual doodle. <laughs> your, your headspace that's going on yep. right now. Yep. That's why we can't do video. It, well, we're going to, and then we'll show them and be like, this is what Shelly's nose she's taking. I have resting bitch face. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, there's a potion you can take. I'm to, just going to always have to just smile. 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 <laughs> Everything's so okay. Everything is okay. Don't look at my notes. Nice. So, right, yeah, uh, lots of good stuff there about starting up your own stream. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, right. I think, you know, the, the it's hard to create that kind of success. Uh, but it's, you know, I think there's there's more value in just playing and getting out there. I think that's probably my biggest takeaway was, like, just do it. So I feel like this is, like, no kidding. But when they talked about interacting with the audience, yeah, like, oh, yeah. That's why people watch this stuff. That is true. Like, it's not just like, because I always get questions from people that are like, why is somebody watching someone else play a game? 
but it's not just the watching. Right. Like there is the interaction. Right. And that is important that he they pointed that out. And with the role, I mean that that's more. I think I think that's you know 100% true for what's when it's a person playing video games yeah. and, and talking to the audience yeah. uh, which is you know the bread and butter of Twitch uh, yep. but when you're doing the shows people around a table playing games you know there's less of that it's harder to yeah, do yeah it'd be hard to do you acknowledge it i mean you know a bit uh, especially as when uh, 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 you know, JP was doing a spiel and me talking about that. Like, yeah, that's that's a learned skill that you need yes, when you're doing stuff like that. For sure. Um, and I'm going to retroactively say that's a good piece of advice, too, is to know that stuff mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, how to promote yourself or at least be like, you know, oh, here are Lord. some other places that you can go. Like, that's for example, Shelly, I wanted to ask them. You should talk about, uh, you know, where people can find you. That's a good point. What's your spiel? My sh- uh, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Shelly Moo. Um, you can go to my website if you want to read. You have a website? I do. You didn't know that? I feel like we've been recording this podcast. I for never like really talked years, about it. Years and, you, know, and you, have a, you have an actual oh, I have website. A blog, ShellyMazanoble.com. <sighs> but right first now, first I've heard of it. Thanks. You're really good at. Uh, Don't you read my bachelor recaps? Oh, I have looked at your bachelor recaps. That's where they I go see- to. They're on my website. Oh, so thought- if you want bachelor recaps, oh. and you do, go to my website. I'm or doing it. find me on, on the Facebook. ShellyMazzanoble.com. ShellyMazzanoble writer on Facebook. Nice. Yeah. Look at that. I am like everywhere. I am everywhere. You're every woman. I am not such an old woman after all. <laughs> no one said that you were. You, I said it. You like self-owned yourself. <laughs> I owned it. I am an old woman and it's almost my birthday and I'm going to be even older. Happy birthday to you. Almost. 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 I can't believe you're going to be 29. <laughs> I know. I'm like almost 30. Ew, I'm going to have to stop wearing skinny jeans. The dirty 30. Stop pegging my jeans. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to grow up, shall You can't I? peg your jeans after 30. Everybody knows that. Right. Poor right? Ryan. We have to tell Ryan now. He can't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's different for men. You can do whatever you want. Yep. We are not equal. Well, thank you for listening, everyone uh, who've made it all the way this far. <laughs> Sorry. You can find me at Greg Tito on the Twitters. Um, I do not have a website. I used to when I was doing stand-up, but I think it's no longer. <gasps> but you're going to start there. doing stand-up again. Well, one day, you know, right. when I'm 60, okay. I'll be like, I'm the old guy coming out on stage. That's my stick, yeah. Tito. Oh, crap. <laughs> well, what I'll actually be old, I'll just be like, I'm a guy. <laughs> all right. Well, you can find out all my stand-up dates. Uh <laughs> <laughs> On Twitter, uh, which are zero. Um, and, uh, of course, if you want to find out more about Dungeons & Dragons, go to DungeonsAndDragons.com yep. and follow the Twitter account there, which is Wizards underscore D-N-D. Not the ampersand, but the N. Only ampersands. Uh, and uh, you'll find all the latest news and stuff going on there. Yep. Check it out, Do guys. It. And, of course, if you're listening to us on the iTunes, please give us a review and a rating. Um Always good feedback. Uh, Not necessarily good feedback, but feedback that is good (laughs) is appreciated. Constructive is good. Uh, We want people to to learn and know more. Uh, All of your suggestions for guests are always helpful. Yeah, we've gotten some good ones. We've gotten some good ones. Thank you. Yeah, so keep those coming, um, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. 